The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Amen. Take your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. There's some spare hard copies, Bibles, in the, underneath the chairs in front of you, or if you prefer to have it on your cell phone, as long as you have just an, a non-distracted version of God's Word in front of you. 1 Peter chapter 4. You know, I, uh, I really love getting to be a pastor. There's so many pieces of what God has called me to that is, is a lot of fun and that I really enjoy. Uh, predominantly, just being able to fulfill what it is that I believe God has called me to do is just a sweet gift that I'm so gracious to the Lord that He would give me an avenue for this calling of mine. But, uh, but you know, and just in general, I just I like people. You know, it's, I, I feel like I, I can get to know people pretty easily and and, and I just, I love the process of getting to know people and to love them and care for them. And, and I, I love that part of being a pastor. Uh, but there is, just like everything that God would call someone to do, regardless whether it's a pastor or a plumber or whatever it is that God has called you to do, has called His children to do for an occupation, there, there are difficult and trying pieces of it as well. And, uh, and the pastorate is, is not excluded from that. Uh, every now and again, uh, especially when you're preaching through a book like, like we're doing as, as I felt the Holy Spirit lead us, uh, sometimes there are times when God will call the preacher to preach a hard message. Uh, things that quite frankly just are not really fun for a preacher to preach. And, and I don't say this boastfully, but many preachers just don't. They just don't preach some of those hard messages that God will bring us to when we, when we're, when we see these things in Scripture that we come to. And, uh, and the reality that every preacher has to settle, the, the truth that a preacher has to settle in his heart of is whether or not he's going to place pleasing people at the highest priority or pleasing God at the highest priority. And, uh, and the truth is, is that if, if pleasing God is at the highest priority of the Christian, of the preacher in general, is that there will be people. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. There will be people who don't like you and they reject you. And as a preacher, as a pastor, I have to settle that in my own heart, which is very hard for me because I think the thing that resides inside of me resides inside of all of us to some degree is that we naturally want to be liked and to like people. We, we don't like that feeling of there being this, this tension between us and other people. And, uh, and I, just, I, I have to settle it in my heart that if there are people that don't like me, that don't like this ministry, that don't like this church, that don't like what's preached from this pulpit, um, I have to settle that that's okay. That's okay. Uh, my goal and my, my passion is to please God first and foremost. And, and I don't want to be problematic with people. I'd love to be able to get along with everybody and to just have this great unity and, 
And, and even with unbelievers, like I, I would love for there to be a, this solid friendship and this mutual understanding, but there just comes a point in God's Word where, where a dividing line is, is made. And uh, so before I really get into preaching this morning, there are three disclaimers that I'll give you, if you will. And uh, number one being that if what is preached from this pulpit, be it this morning or any morning in the future, uh, if it doesn't apply to you, don't apply it to yourself. Uh, we will certainly preach against sin because that is what God's Word does. And, uh, and if, if, if you've been forgiven of your sin, even if it's a sin that you are formerly guilty of, but if, if you are washed by the blood of the Lamb and your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west and it's been lost in God's sea for forgetfulness, then, and, and this sin is preached against from this pulpit and you've been forgiven, I mean, your only role then is just to raise your hands and say, praise the Lord, I'm forgiven and free, I'm redeemed. That sin is no longer what identifies me. I am in Christ Jesus because of His blood. And that's a good thing. Amen? Number two, the disclaimer I'll give is that if what is preached from this pulpit, if it makes you angry... If it ticks you off, if you disagree with it, I would ask for you to please determine as to whether or not the thing that disgruntles you is from me or from God. Because if it's, if it's the words of Ben Schwederman that offend you, if it's the words of Ben Schwederman that have made you angry, then please come and talk to me. Because I, it is not my goal that my words would offend someone from, from just me. I, I mean, I will apologize. I will. I'll give you, I'll just tell you now, I will apologize. It's, it's not my goal to hurt anyone's feelings at all. But, but if it's from God, if it's from His Word, and I'm simply the messenger between the two, then quite frankly, don't talk to me about it. Talk to God. I'm not the one with which you have an issue. It's with God. And thirdly, the last thing I'll say, which really is in the form of a question, is that did you walk into this place this morning with your heart moldable? Did you walk in this place this morning with your heart? Have you given your heart to the Lord in such a way that, that it, it, God can change you? Or did you come in here this morning Set in your ways. And that's a question I have to answer for myself and, and you as well. We have, to understand of, we have to come to the understanding of whether or not we're giving our heart to God in a way that allows Him to change us. So, before I begin, let's, um, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we... We don't need me. We don't need my words. We don't need your church. You don't need anyone in here, God. And we need you not just a little bit, but desperately. Uh, our hearts cannot be changed by human emotion or by mental teaching that I could provide. Uh, only your only your spirit only your power can do the kinds of things that we need so father i just pray that you would be with us in these moments in jesus name and everybody says amen so um last week we finished up with first peter chapter three uh, which left us off with the statement that jesus is at the right hand of the father and that angels and authorities and powers <clears throat> excuse me, are in subjection to him. And if that's good news to you, say amen. If that's true, which it is, that means that the United States of America, that your boss and the governing officials of Johnstown and Utica and Alexandria and all the places around us are also in subjection to Jesus. Everybody say yes. 
That's a good thing. If that's true, which it is, it means that Donald Trump, Mike Bloomberg, Nancy Pelosi, Mike Pence, your in-laws, Bernie Sanders, North Korea, the coronavirus, the Republican Party, the Democratic Party, your opinions, my opinions, me and you, and everything else in between are all in subjection to and pale in comparison to the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. If you're following along, everyone say yes. So it brings us now to 1 Peter chapter 4. Look to verse 1. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. And I really hope you have a Bible in front of you right now because I'm going to expound on some of these things where I'll stop in Scripture. And I don't want you to make a, a, an error thinking that what I'm saying is Scripture. You, you need to have God's Word in front of you because I'll say things and if you don't have God's Word in front of you, you may th- think that something I'm saying is not of God's Word. So, But just make sure you understand that. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, since Jesus took the nails in his hands that you and I deserved. Since his feet had the stake driven through it like you and I deserve. Since his face was battered and bloodied for us. His back was ripped for us. Since he was hanging on a cross naked and ashamed and, 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 and embarrassed and, and made a mockery out of. Since Jesus did all of those things for us. Now back to God's Word. We are to arm ourselves also with the same mind. For he, lowercase h, he, representing humans, not Jesus, he, but humans, he, for he, for he who has suffered in the flesh, for he who has the likeness and the identity of Christ, has ceased from sin. Okay, not in the sense that we will, have, will not sin at all in the future, but, but our identity as sinful, rebellious people is no longer. For he who is in the Christ likeness and in his image, we've been made like him. God has forgiven us of our sins. We're in his identity. We, his identity is our own. We've ceased from our identity being that of sin. Verse 2, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Now, a reoccurring theme that we have seen in the book of First Peter is our identity in Jesus. That when we are saved, when we're redeemed, that God sees Jesus when He sees us. We have His identity. His moral perfection is our own. His, his perfect life is our own. His, his perfect standing before God is our own. But this verse here, these first verses we just read, take it one step deeper now. And what it's telling us is that when somebody has the identity of Christ, when they are in the right proper standing before God, when that true conversion, when that true redemption has happened, that it will result in someone doing the will of God and not the will and the lusts of man. So the first statement we'll make is this. A changed life will proceed. Genuine conversion. The word proceed meaning coming after a changed life will come after genuine everyone say genuine after genuine conversion there was a boy who was who was born in the year 1960 and his dad uh, bought a pickup truck a ford pickup truck in the year 1960 and and like trucks were used back then and they are still in today's world they were used as a farm tool 
And this boy grew up watching his dad drive this truck around the farm to go out into the pasture to pick up cattle and and to drive through the woods during deer season to pick up a downed animal and to drive through the roads when it was wintertime and salt would get kicked up. And this this pickup truck became well-loved. It was no longer a showroom item, but it was was a tool. It was something that got used and it was was well-loved. had many marks and dents and beat and it was was a tool that was used. And this boy grew up later to want to buy that same truck it brought back so many fond memories he went out and he found a 1960 Ford pickup truck and and it was like many trucks are of that era they were beat up rusted had a lot of issues it just it was it was it was well used in its day and it was a long time ago so it was in very very poor condition but he was wanting to restore this thing back to showroom condition back to as if it had just rolled off the assembly line so he takes this truck and he spends thousands and thousands of dollars to completely refurbish and make this thing new and by the time he was finished this 1960 Ford pickup truck was as if it had rolled right off of the assembly line. Every piece was perfect. Interior, exterior, no rust, no dents, no scratches. And, and here's what we can tell if, if from that little story what that person would definitely not do with that truck. They would not use that truck to drive out into the, into the cattle pasture to pick up calves. They would not use that truck to go driving through the woods to, during deer season to pick up a downed animal. This truck would no longer be used as a tool to go to the feed store and drive through salt-covered roads in the wintertime. This truck would not be used for anything that it was formerly used for. Why? Because it has been made new. It's made whole. This thing, what it used to do, it will no longer do any of the things that it used to do. It's been set aside for a purpose completely and totally different. So what am I preaching to you? What I'm preaching to you is that when we are made new, when we are redeemed, when we are restored to perfect condition and right standing before God, we will no longer do what the rest of the world is doing. We'll no longer say what the rest of the world is saying, smoke what the rest of the world is smoking, drink what the rest of the world is drinking, party the way the rest of the world is partying. We won't be what the rest of the world is. We've been made new. We've been made whole and right standing before God. Now, I've had people say to me before, in this same line of thought, I've had people say to, more, to me, well, they'll say, Pastor Ben, you, you believe in a pretty, pretty extreme life for the Christian. And they don't say it in a positive way either, like, you believe in much grace for the Christian. You don't believe in, in great prosperity for you. They don't say it in a positive way at all. They say it, they say, Pastor Ben, you believe in, a, in an extreme life for the Christian and what they're what they mean to say, even though that's not actually what came out of their mouth, but what they're actually saying is, Pastor Ben, don't you, don't you think that it's a little extreme? Don't you think it's a little inconservative to think that Christians ought to be in the Bible every single day? Don't you think that's a little old school to teach that marital intimacy is only to be had inside of marriage? Don't you think that's a little old school? Don't you think that it's a little old school, it's a little backward, it's a little conservative to believe that children still ought to submit to their parents and honor them and that fathers ought to lead the home? Don't you think it's a little old school to think that people ought to just flee from sin, not seeing how close they can get to it without actually dipping their toe into sin, but just to flee and to run from all ungodliness? And, and let me just be clear, before anybody would ever get this notion that I'm like this high, lifted up preacher, teacher, I'm not a perfect teacher or pastor or preacher. I, I recognize that. I humble myself before you to tell you that I am not a perfect person. Abby can tell you that in all detail that you want to hear. I, I am sinful on the daily, and I need Christ's forgiveness more than anybody. I, I humble myself to tell you all that and to be plain with that. But here, but here is what I am saying, and I'm not, I'm not going to 
lower myself to the point of, of, of not pretending like God's word still applies to you and to me. What I am saying is this, is that a changed life will precede genuine conversion. What I am saying is that the person who is redeemed and forgiven of God that struggles in sin, even terrible sin, they're washed clean and they're white because of Jesus. But the willful sinner, the person who says, I know what God's word says, and I'm going to turn around and live differently than what it is that God has called me to do and to not do the way that God has called the believer to live, the willful sinner, what I am saying is that that person will be judged. And here's why this is a very hard message for me. is because I really like willful sinners. I love willful sinners. I've met hundreds of willful sinners in my time of ministry that I get along with great. Ones that I share common hobbies with. I can have them over to my house to eat. I can laugh with them. Enjoy time with them. We enjoy the same things. We enjoy doing the same. I mean, the, the, willful sinners can be great, nice people that are a lot of fun that I, I really like. And the, and the sinful side of me would just want to stand up here and just preach messages that just kept everything okay between the willful sinner and what ought to be preached from the pulpit. But you get to the point as a pastor where you get to verses like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-10 through 10 that say, do, not, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and, and as, as if that wasn't clear enough, it goes on to say, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived, New Covenant Community Church. Don't be deceived, Ben Schwederman. Don't be deceived, people that are created in the image of God. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So what I am saying to you this morning is that people who sin willfully in those areas, people who actively rebel against God by saying, I understand what God's Word says, and I'm doing this differently. I'm doing it my way. Those people will not be in heaven when they die. And that saddens me because there are people that I really love that are, 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 they are described, their life is described in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 10. And I love them so dearly. And I know that should they die today, they will not be in heaven. They won't be. And that's not popular. That's not what I like preaching. This is the kind of message that makes me physically sick throughout the week. But, but this is the truth. Of God's word. We can't just skim over scripture and only read the stuff that makes us feel good, makes us encouraged about the way we're doing life. No, you have to come to the realization that God is good, that He is a He's a merciful God, He is loving, He is He is the perfect picture. The, the two things that you could you could never, you and I will never understand, perhaps even in heaven, that we will never fathom perfectly. Two things. One being the amazing love of God. His amazing long-suffering and His mercy towards us. We, you, we will never fathom a God who would sacrifice His Son on behalf of humans that have rebelled and, and spitefully hated Him. We won't get that. It's just how, how could you ever understand such a beautiful, merciful God? And the other thing that you and I will never understand is the wrath of His judgment. 
We, we will never comprehend that. So to, to, to not have an idolatrous view of God, we, we must see both of these things. So if those things anger you, if those things tick you off, if that has made you mad, again, don't talk to me about it. Your issue is not with me. Your issue is with God. And if, if, you, if, you just, if you're angered by those things that, that God would judge in, in the way that he sees fit and that homosexuals and sodomites and fornicators and idolaters and adulterers and thieves, that those people, it's made clear, those people will not be in heaven. They will not receive the grace and the mercy of God. They will be judged. They will be punished because of their willful disobedience and rebellion against God. If that makes you angry, you take your sin and, and, and tell it to the nail scars in his hands. You go talk to Jesus' feet that has holes in it. You, you go talk to his flesh torn back and, 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 and his bloodied face and the crown of thorns. You go talk to Jesus and tell him those things and somehow try to describe to him why it is that you don't need his forgiveness. Because I don't know about you, but when I bring my sin before God, when I bring... When I bring my sin before God and I see His nail-scarred hands and His nail-scarred feet and His flesh torn back and I think and I see those things and I bring my sin, my sexual sins, my lies, my covetousness, my adulterous thoughts, my wicked evil thoughts that plague me daily. When I, when I bring my sin before God, I know I need Jesus. I'm humbled to the point to know that I need Him and that I need Him desperately. He's a gracious God that He would extend His hand of forgiveness to people that have rebelled against Him. 1 Corinthians, moving on from the verse that we were in, 1 Corinthians 6, look to verse 11 and it says, And such were some of you, so that was me. Don't think I'm putting myself up on some high horse, pointing a finger at people saying that you're a sinner and you're going to hell if you commit those things willfully. Listen, 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, and such was Ben Schwederman. That was me. That was, that was everyone here who names the name of Christ that knows Him as Savior. That was all of us. There's, there's no place for me or anyone else to put themselves up on any kind of high horse because that was all of us. But as we move on from that verse, it tells us exactly what has happened to us. It says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. A changed life, my friends, a changed life will proceed genuine conversion it will come after genuine repentance genuine conversion and being truly redeemed by the spirit of god and to say that you are converted to say that you are a christian and to willfully disobey to, and i'm not talking about the righteous struggler hear me out on this Someone who is, who is walking in the grace of God and has repented. God has made them whole and new. I don't care what kind of sin you're struggling with. If, if you are there and you are, you are in God's mercy and your grace and then someone sins and they bring it to the foot of the cross, that kind of person, that's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the willful sinner who just continues on, continues on, continues on in the sin they know that is in disobedience to God. For so, that person to say that they are converted is to make them a liar because they are not converted. They are not redeemed. They are not repentant of their sins. Jesus said in John 14, 23, He says, if you love Me, you'll obey what I teach. So the reason that many people don't obey what He teaches is because they don't love Him. They don't love Jesus. 
That's why Jesus said that tasteless salt is worthless. It's not good for anything. It's supposed to do a certain thing, but it's, it's tasteless. It doesn't, do, it doesn't match what it's supposed to be. A tasteless salt is worthless. People that say they're converted, but they don't do anything that a converted person does because they don't have true repentance, it's, it's worthless. It doesn't mean anything. If you were to go to a nice restaurant, and I'm not talking about Olive Garden, I'm talking about some place where the plates are 120 bucks and north. I'm talking about a nice restaurant. And you order a prime cut steak, and you're really excited about this lean protein that they're going to be bringing to you, and they bring to you the patty from a McDonald's sandwich, I don't even need to ask you what you would say. Say. You would look at the waiter, the waitress, or the server, as as they're called nowadays, and you would look at them and say, I didn't pay for this. This is so far away. This is so completely and utterly different than anything I've paid for. Take this away and bring to me what it is that I have paid for. And even if the waiter, the waitress, or the server, they look and say, well, well, it's still, it's still prime Angus beef. It's still, it's still from the same cut of meat. It's, it's just in a diff, little bit different form. Are you sure you still don't want to sit here and eat it? You would still persist and say, this is not what I've paid for. This is not what I've paid for. This is not what I what it is supposed to look like. This take this away and bring to me what I have paid for. Matthew seven verses twenty one through twenty three. It says, "Not everyone who says to me, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven." Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Could it be that we are in a generation of people where many people, should Christ return or death take us, that many people will get to the end of their days and they'll go to Jesus and say, have we not, it it looks like the same thing, it's still kind of the same thing, but but Jesus will say, "I, I didn't pay for that. I did, I, my blood did not, was not shed for people to live a lawless life. Depart from me and bring to me something that I've paid for with my blood. Look now, 1 Peter chapter 4, look now to verse 3. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable, I can't even speak this morning, abominable idolatries. So if I could read that again and paraphrase, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of Gentiles, or unbelievers as it's referenced here. Any amount of time that we have spent drunk is enough time. Any amount of time that we have spent, quote-unquote, sowing wild oats, or young people will just be young people. Any amount of time that we have spent with idolatrous thoughts or adulterous thoughts in our minds. Any amount of time that we have spent doing those in our, in our previously unsafe condition, it was enough time. There's no more ever at all any question that there's room for that in the saved person's life at all. Those things, however much time has been spent, it's enough. There's no more room for that in the life of the saved person. 
And here's the litmus test. If you go on now, look to verse 4. Here's the litmus test of whether or not you're doing those things or whether or not you're doing God's will. It says, in regard to these, in regard to those lists of sins that it just referenced there in verse 3, in regard to these, they think it's strange. All the people who go around doing what the rest of the world does and drinks like the rest of the world drinks and drunkenness and lewdness and parties and all these, all the ways, fornication and adultery and homosexuality, all of the ways in which the world is going. All of those people, they think it's strange, the Bible says that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So there's the litmus test of whether or not people have thought it strange. And I think this really delineates between three groups of people. The first being, if you were a brand new Christian, the only way that you've not had somebody look at you and they scratch their head and they think it's strange of you that you don't live the way that you live because you're a Christian, I think it's one of three groups of people. Either you're a brand new Christian and you're a brand new follower of Christ, And you just haven't had time to be in front of people for them to think it's weird that you go to church and that you live a holy life before God. And if that's true for you and you're a new believer, can I just tell you that there is grace and there is joy and there is mercy on the road ahead for you. Yes, the people will think it's strange. The world will think it's very strange that you do and don't do certain things. But can I tell you there is joy and peace like you would not believe in the road that you are going down. It's a wonderful, grace-filled road. The second group, I believe, would be B. Option B would be that someone's convictions are simply so loose that no one can tell the difference between you and someone else who has not met God. And in that case, it's probably very probable that you aren't saved. If you've never had somebody scratch their head and think, boy, why do you live the way you live? Why do you not do certain things? Why, why do you do things this way? And, and you've never had someone look at you and they scratch their head and think, well, why do you do that? And that's never happened to you. Again, it's either that your convictions are simply so loose and you're just so loose in your faith and if that's the case, question your faith. Question of whether or not you're actually redeemed. If, that's, if you've never had people sit there and scratch their head. And the third group, C, I would say, is that if someone has no convictions whatsoever, and then it's, thus it's made very clear that someone has never been saved, they've never met God at all. Now, this raises a very good question, I think, for all of us. Is why does God call us to holiness? Why does God want this, there, there, this huge gap, not a little gap, God intends for there to be this huge, expansive divide between living people, redeemed living people, and people that are damned and going to hell? Why does God intend for there to be this huge gap? I think in God's sovereignty, there are very many reasons of which I don't even know, but one that elevates itself out of Scripture to me is, is simply the statement that God desires for the lost to be found. And here's what I mean by this. Matthew 18, 11 says, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Luke 15, verse 7 says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who have no need of repentance. We see in Scripture that there were even some people who got a little ticked off of God's grace and His mercy and God's great desire for there to be this big gap to draw as many people, to draw these people over into the, to the living portion, to the living category of people, the redeemed category of people. We know the story of Jonah. He was the prophet to Nineveh. And once God finally got his attention, Jonah goes to Nineveh. He preaches this message to this huge city of 120,000 people. And the whole city gets saved. And Jonah, apparently not liking the Ninevites and wanting God to smite them and crush them and get rid of them. And Jonah says, for I knew that you're a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, 
one who relents from doing harm. So while Jonah was sitting there wanting God to crush Nineveh, Jonah was wanting God to do that. God is sitting there and, and, and restores these people and gives them grace and mercy. Why? Because there was a great gap between their wickedness and the righteousness of God's people. So, if you feel the Holy Spirit drawing your heart this morning, if you feel the Father drawing your spirit, if there's something that's perked your attention and, and, and you're thinking, again, hear me, my, my goal in ministry would never to be to get someone to question their true repentance and their true redemption and to get them to question that thinking that that wasn't legitimate. That is not my goal. But, but my goal is, is for the unsaved person to get them to question and to question seriously of whether or not they are right with God to test, to make sure that they're not deceived into thinking that they are a child of God when indeed they are not. If you do feel the Holy Spirit drawing you this morning, can I just tell you, God is a merciful God. He is kind. He's loving. He's gracious. In Luke 15, there's the wonderful story of the prodigal son. Most of us know that story pretty well. The father is there, and his son asks for his inheritance early. The son leaves the father with his inheritance, which was the most disrespectful thing the son could have done. The son takes this inheritance, and he squanders it on prostitutes and sinful living. And it brings him down. Finally, once he's ran out of money, he's a Jewish boy, and he's, he's having to serve pigs. He's feeding pigs, which was like the most abominable thing that a Jewish person could have done in those days. And, and there came this thought to this boy. He thought to himself, why am I here sucking up hog slop with these pigs when my father's servants live better than I do? I'm going to go home. I'm just going to beg. I'm just going to throw myself down and I'm going to beg that the father will forgive me and that he would just make me like one of his hired servants. They're living better than I'm living. And we know this story. The boy leaves. He's going back to his father. And this, the sweetest part of that scripture to me is the Bible says that while the boy was still a great way off, the boy didn't have to go and start banging on the door, please let me in, please let me in. The Bible says that while the boy was still a great way off, while the boy still smelled like hog slop, when the boy was still reeked of his rebellion against his father, as soon as the boy decided to go home, the Bible says that the father runs, he lays on the neck of the boy, he kisses him, and he robes him in a robe, puts a ring on his finger, throws this amazing party. And, and what it tells us of God's nature is that he was just a long way off. The father was gracious and merciful. The father could have sat on the porch going like this and just nodding his head with the I told you so type of look in his eye. He could have done that. But no, Jesus says that God is like that man. He sees the sinners coming from a long way off. He runs them, He embraces them, He brings them in. So can I tell you, if the Holy Spirit is drawing your heart, that's what God will do for you. He'll see you coming in your sinfulness. You're a long way off. That doesn't matter. God will meet you where you are. But here's the thing I want to say is it was not as if the father was going to go and physically take captive the boy out of the hog slop that he was in. The boy had to decide that he was going to go home. He had to decide that he was going to go home. The father was going to let him. If the boy wanted to stay in the hog slop for the rest of his life, he would have been able to do so. The boy decided to go home. The father came running. And if you're saying to yourself, 
well, if God is so loving and kind, why doesn't He just why doesn't He go and get people? Why doesn't He just make sure that everyone? If that if that's your heart, if there's still a, a an angry kind of feeling in your heart, you're just you're proving to yourself your rebellion and sin against God. Jesus is merciful. He's slow to anger. He's compassionate. He'll come running to you, but He's also a good judge. He's a good judge. His, his judgments are perfect. If God just had this throw it to everyone and everyone was saved kind of thing, it would, it would totally devalue what it is that God offers to sinners. That He would come and seek and save the lost. It would, it would totally devalue that. Now look, if you will, to verse 5. And I'll bring it to a close shortly. Verse 5, it says, They being the mockers of the scoffers, people that look at Christians and say, why do you live that way? And the Bible even says that they'll speak evil of us because of what we do and don't do as believers who seek after holiness before God. They, those mockers, they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the Gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. In other words, God in His judgment is not limited by death. If you were to choose tomorrow morning to go and rob a bank, and as the police chase you, you wreck your car and you die, it is not as if they're going to throw matching bracelets called handcuffs on your wrist, on your corpse, throw you into the back of the car, and then judge your corpse in a court of law. That won't happen. You have already been dead. The extent to which what can happen to you is already done. God is not limited by those things. He will judge the living and the dead. And if you're here this morning, whether you're here this morning or whether you're hearing the sound of my voice on our podcast or YouTube, whatever, whoever is hearing these words right now, can I just tell you that God is extending to you an opportunity of grace, an opportunity to hear this gospel. It's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to knowledge of the truth. And yet there will be some. In fact, there will be many in the lifetime of, that I have on this earth, earth of preaching this gospel, there will be many who will not come to Jesus. And I believe, A, that they will do it because, like Jesus said, that they don't love Him, and because they don't love Him, they don't obey His words. And also, they'll be like the rich young ruler. We remember that story from Scripture as well. The rich ruler had a bunch of money and lots of things. He goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, obey the commandments. And he lists some commandments. And the, and the man says, oh, I've done all those things. What, what do I also have to do? And Jesus looks at him and he says, sell all you own, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And the Bible says that the young, young rich ruler went away sad because he was a man of great possessions. Can I just tell you this morning, don't be that man. Don't, don't be that person that chooses your sin because it makes you feel good over Jesus. That, that man, I mean, it's like the most heartbreaking story in all of Scripture. That man would walk away. Here is the Son of God in the flesh offering him eternal life, and he chose rather to go with his possessions that made him feel good. That made him feel good. He made just something that will make you feel good. Don't turn away from Christ because of your sin. Even if your sin does make you feel good, which it does, it can only do it for a short period of time until you're dead. Follow Jesus. Trust Him. 
think. Think about what it is that you're doing. Think about your life. Think about the reality that everyone will live forever somewhere. Make it right with God. The way to make it right with God is to go to Jesus and to ask Him to forgive you of your sin. To repent. To trust Him. To follow Him. And I hope and my prayer, and I feel bad sometimes because I know I get on a roll with these things, and my hope and prayer is that you don't hear anger in my voice. I hope what you've heard through my voice and the tears that you've seen on my face, my hope and prayer is that you hear anguish and not anger. Because I'm not angry. I, I like and I love willful sinners. But can I just tell you that you need to go home. You need to decide to leave the pig pen. You need to decide to follow and trust Jesus. Don't worry about how hard the road will be. Jesus will take care of your sanctification and making you more like Him in His timing. Don't worry about those things. Trust Him. He'll forgive you. He'll grant you eternal life. If you know Jesus as your Savior, say amen. Let's all bow our heads. And Brian, if you would come. We're going to take communion for a moment, but with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just I want to take a moment right now. If you believe that the Holy Spirit has drawn you, has convicted you, and, and perhaps you're like the young rich ruler and you just say to yourself, I love my sin and I, I, I will choose rather to follow my sin than to follow Jesus. If that's you, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you see the truth of God's Word, the grace and the mercy and the reality that, that, that willful sinners will be judged. You cannot escape that reality in Scripture. I'll pray for you if that's you. But if you're in the other group, if you say, you know, I want to leave the pig pen. Oh, church, I can hardly speak when I think of God saving me. When I think of the decision to leave the pig pen, everyone who's a believer, they know how sweet that moment was when you decided to leave the pig pen and the grace and the mercy that you experienced in your life. It's the greatest mercy that has ever come across the span of humankind. If that's you and you say, Pastor Ben, I want to leave this pig pen and I want the Father to see me from a long way off, if that's you, and I will not ask people to come up here, but what I am going to ask you is, in a moment, I'll ask you if, if that is you to raise your hand so that I can reach out to you, that I can walk alongside you, that we can, that we can make it true and sure that you are among the redeemed, that should you die tomorrow, that your eternal home will be heaven and not hell.